0: Fighting for freedom every day. Broadcasting from the heartland of America. The next generation in conservative talk radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes,
1: indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a post-Monday celebration. Greatest day of the entire week, my friends. We are just Carpe Deanisms all over the place. To what we do here on the program, especially on a Tuesday, my favorite day of the week, because we have now set the tone for the week, and we are ready to rock and roll through the rest of it until we see the light at the end of the tunnel. So great to have you along with us here for a Tuesday. This is The Voice Reason. I am Andy Hoosier, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen. It's so wonderful to have you with us. your millennial general reporting for duty like we do every single day. I want to do a backtrack. Can we do a repeat for a second and just go back to yesterday's program? Because yesterday we recapped Joe Biden's campaign trail, which honestly has been intriguing to watch because he's kind of on the campaign trail, at least a little bit. As he tries to talk about the devastations of Donald J. Trump and the insurrection that's happened. I know that's a scary, scary part. That's OK. But he also was speaking at the South Carolina Church over the weekend in our latest uh, Biden Basement segment.
0: Let's go into the Biden Basement.
1: And after we, I didn't get a chance to watch the entire speech because I can only take so much of Joe Biden before the stupid starts to kick in and my brain starts to hurt a little bit. But I did sit down yesterday after the program and I listened to the entire speech in South Carolina because I was curious about something. And I I actually played the clip on the show yesterday, if you remember, that I was like, oh, he's in the South. He's appealing to the black demographic because he's at a black church. So is he going to bring out the drawl like Hillary Clinton did back in the day? I don't
0: feel no ways tired. I come too far from where I started from. Nobody told me that the road would be easy. All right,
1: so we played that clip yesterday because I made the joke that Joe Biden may be trying to go down the same road and do the same mimicking of trying to pander to certain demographics as what Hillary Clinton did back in the day. It's even worse than I thought, though, because when I went back and actually watched the entire clip of the speech that he had over the weekend, he didn't necessarily use the same draw, but he did use the exact same verbiage, showing that really, I mean, the handlers between Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden are one and the same with their absolute talking points. We've
0: come too far. i come too far from where we started from where i started from nobody told me the road would be easy nobody told me that the road would be easy i don't believe he brought me this far to leave me i don't believe he brought me this far to leave me my fellow americans i don't think the good lord brought us this far to leave us behind
1: wow I mean, is it like the lyrics of a song or something? Is he doing some kind of like, you know, Southern hymnal kind of thing? Like, what are they doing? It's not the same draw, but the same verbiage. And it caught my attention as soon as I heard that. The ears kind of perked up a little bit. So, man, Joe Biden, the Democrats, I'm telling you, you know, the definition of insanity, trying to do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. That was Hillary Clinton on the campaign trail in 2015 against Donald J. Trump. This is Joe Biden now on the campaign trail against Donald J. Trump at a time when the African-American populace is starting to lean more towards the Republican side. We see them leaving the Democrat Party because of their ridiculous identity politics. And then, of course, they try to repeat the same verbiage to win them back over. Oh, how the times have changed. Or not, because it's the exact same thing. Welcome into the show. we got a lot to talk about. J- bottom of the hour, we have John Smith Baker. He is the founder of the organization Fathers in the Field. He's also author of the book, A Man Enough to Forgive, We're going to talk about fatherless children and the father's role in the family unit. And right now in society, the culture war that we're in, are we seeing an anti-fatherless society right now? And what is that doing to society as a whole? So we'll have that conversation with John coming up in just a little bit. Speaking of the campaign trail, though, I do want to touch on real quickly the Republican side because we are, I'm excited, I know you're excited as well, you geek out on this, I totally dork out on this, but we are less than a week away from the Iowa caucus, the hawkeye caucus, as we like to refer to it, as the big one that sets the tone really for the rest of the primary season. And my prediction has been made that Donald Trump will win that one handily and then will win New Hampshire handily and then the rest of them will just kind of fall into place And very early on, whether you like it or not, I'm not endorsing it by any means. I'm just saying based on speculation that we're watching right now, Donald Trump will be the official nominee for the Republican Party sooner than later, even with the ongoing court cases, which apparently Donald Trump was in court today. And he was uh, talking about the quote unquote insurrection, whether he's allowed to be on the ballot or not, and whether courts can decide whether he can be on the ballot in each individual state. If I remember correctly, the state of Colorado's deadline for the candidates on the ballot is Friday. So if the Supreme Court's going to take this case up on whether he can be in Colorado's ballot or not for the primary, they have to have a decision by Friday. So this is kind of a speedy trial for them on what their decision will be. And it will, and it will, I reiterate, set the tone for every other state in the nation that is considered removing Donald J. Trump off the ballot there. As well. So, that being said, going into the uh, election here for the next few days, we have Donald Trump that is astronomically above uh, uh, anybody else on the Republican side. No new news there. Everybody already kind of knew that. But the headlines right now from left-wing media and from even Drudge Report, which has kind of become left-wing media as well, unfortunately, has showed that Nikki Haley is on the surge. Nikki Haley is on the climb up, and could Nikki Haley beat Donald Trump? In New Hampshire, which is, I I guess if you want to now, according to the polls, according to 538.com, which is kind of, I guess, for polls, which take all of them with a grain of salt. But if you want to look at those, I guess that would be one of the more reputable ones. Donald Trump in the state of Iowa setting up at 51 percent, followed by Ron DeSantis at 17 percent, Nikki Haley at 15 percent. Nowhere near close to Donald Trump. Now, just because you win Iowa doesn't mean that you win the nomination, although historically it shows that you usually have a lot of momentum and that you usually gain a lot of control moving forward, and that gives you a bump. But Donald Trump surpasses them by a long shot right now. What about New Hampshire? New Hampshire, it's a little bit closer, I guess, kind of, sort of. Is Donald Trump sitting at 42% of the vote with Nikki Haley at 29%? So we're really looking at a 13% difference there. Out of any of them, that's the narrowest margin that we've seen. But this Nikki Haley, man, this boosting confidence, according to Newsmax, when she was asked about Donald Trump being on the ballot or not, says it, quote, I don't need Trump off the ballot to win. As she's trying to show a little bit of that boosting confidence. Is it working, though? Donald Trump had something to say about that at a rally recently in... Uh, oh, here we go. Here's the right one. He, he was in Iowa doing a rally, and that was brought up, and he mentioned
2: this. Who oh, fund Nikki Haley and Ron aren't working for your interests. They're working for uh, the interests of other nations and themselves, and so are those two. Nikki would sell you out just like she sold me out. I mean, I'll never run against him. He was a great president. Why would I run? Ladies and gentlemen, I've decided to run. You know, it's like after listening to that for two years, she came to Mar-a-Lago to see me to inform me that she'll never run. They're all false rumors. But then she ran, and she's probably doing a little better. You know, they had a poll the other day that was a classic, just to show you how dishonest the fake news media is. And it said, headline, Nikki Haley surging. I said, oh, that's That's not good. No, I figured I was in trouble, though. New poll must be. So I went up seven points, and it's hard to go up seven when you're already at 68. You know, there's not that much you can. She went up three. And DeSantis went down one. All
1: right, so that that was Donald Trump at his latest rally. I actually had to blurb something out from Donald Trump. That was kind of interesting for that one. But not too concerned about this, it seems like. But Nikki Haley showing a little bit more confidence. I don't know where this is coming from, other than that's what you have to do is put on the smile during the campaign trail. I I do this, and I, I give myself fault for it as well. When you interview candidates, especially those, whether it's a local race or a national race, it doesn't matter, and you ask them, and they may not even be popping up on the, on the polls or the popularity numbers, and you're like, oh, how's the campaign going? And they put on the smile, and they say, oh, it's totally great. We're going to win this thing. We're so excited. I get it. You have to put on the fake smile. And I need to get out of the habit, along with every other Uh, interviewee out there, whether it's TV or radio that interviews these candidates that asks them, hey, how's the campaign going? How are you feeling so far right now? We have to get away from that because that's kind of a dumb argument when you're like, hey, you're sitting at 2% right now. How are you doing there, buddy? You feeling pretty confident with your 2%? You can all of a sudden pull ahead and actually win the race? (laughs) Probably not going to be the case, but I, I get it. I do that fault as well. Nikki Haley, however, saying that she doesn't need Donald Trump to be written off on the ballot in order to beat him. I don't know if that confidence is really relaying on to the generic Republican voter, but all the power to her if she wants to try and promote that type of confidence. If we do see a Donald Trump, what I honestly think is going to be hindering him, the lingering decision on whether he's going to dominate this race or not, will be the Supreme Court decisions, which, again, they have to make here relatively soon, and Donald Trump being in court today making those cases. Now, again, even with that case, His lawyers were trying to make an argument saying that you have no right to remove him from a ballot because he was not charged, number one, with insurrection. And number two, he was never charged through the Senate. In order for you to be a outcast, if you want to call it that, from a presidency, you have to have an impeachment and you have to have the persecution. Remember, the House of Representatives actually votes on the impeachment. And then once the impeachment's there, that's essentially a mark on your record to say this is what you have done, and we're going to give you the slap on the wrist. And then we send it over to the Senate side because, you know, this whole checks and balances thing, both sides of Congress, two different branches, kind of a wild concept, right? Things that Democrats don't quite understand. The Senate would then charge somebody to remove them from office. And Donald Trump did not have that. Now, he did have two impeachments on his record. But the Senate never picked it up to actually charge him. Why? Because, well, they say there was a Republican majority, which there was, but that doesn't matter. They did not charge him. So how can you remove him off a ballot if he was never formally charged with anything from government saying that he was an insurrectionist under the insurrection clause that was really essentially made after the Civil War, saying that those that fought against the Union could not hold public office as someone who didn't like the country? That doesn't make any sense. Under the insurrection clause, but that's the whole argument that they're making. So this should be in a normal reality world. Now, I, (laughs) I already say that with a grain of salt, because remember, right now in 2024, we do not live in a normal reality type of world. We're talking about like eight foot, ton foot tall demonic beings in a mall in Miami. We're talking about the government admitting to UFOs. We're talking about an Epstein list that's like five years too late. We're talking about some really crazy. AOC is in office right now for crying out loud. And Joe Biden's actually running the country. This is Looneyville right now. So when we talk about something that would be in normal behavior, we have to, you know, put that up with the grain of salt and actually, you're like, all right. That should be normal, but what's really going on here? But in a normal world, this should be a very easy case to say, no, he's not an insurrectionist. Yes, he can be on the ballot. And for you to actually even consider taking him off the ballot would be some type of voter election fraud to try and uh, persecute a political opponent because you don't like them being in office which is why you see Joe Biden, surprisingly, out on the campaign trail, but doing it in a very divisive manner as a sitting president of the United States, wanting to rally and bring the country back together by doing it in a manner that he goes to Revolutionary War spots, Civil War spots, and different minority demographics to talk about nothing more than Donald Trump being a tyrant. And out of all of this, which they haven't learned their lesson yet, out of all of these cases, with Donald Trump potentially being removed off the ballot, having court cases in multiple different states, having Joe Biden calling him, uh, calling him a Nazi and a fascist and a tyrant, and having even his own Republican Party right now finding ways to try and bring him down when we should have a somewhat relatively unified Republican voice. After all of that, guess what? Donald Trump's still in the lead massively among Republicans and is climbing in the general polls for the nationwide race coming up in November now he's not still there in some places but in swing states he's dominating Joe Biden and he continues to climb and the more they attack him the more he grows and a rational cognitively thinking person would see that and try to change their tactics but instead they just double down making themselves look even more foolish than what they did before
0: It's the voice of reason with Andy Hoosier Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. So we have a boosted confidence in Nikki Haley
1: as she continues to slowly, I guess, rise in the polls right now as the alternative to Trump. I find her interesting. I mean, she's decent, I guess. I guess she's kind of really... Uh, embrace the whole moderate rhino alternative side of Donald Trump. Oh, I'm going to be the establishment, the mainstream. I have all this experience in politics. And she has a lot of experience in the national national defense, foreign policy, that sort of thing is working for the United Nations, which is great. But at the same time, like outside of that, you know, She makes some good comments. She had some nice little zingers during the debate. She had a couple one-liners that were decent. She has a decent platform. Not saying I don't dislike her, and if she becomes a nominee, then obviously we would support her on this program wholeheartedly. Uh, At the same time, does she have the pizzazz to win over a large crowd of the Republican Party? Is she able to win over from an almost diehard type of mindset of voters from Donald Trump that's just enough, I think, right now to squeak him through to a nomination the question is after that will they throw their support behind him because she has backed off on the rhetoric quite a bit from him saying that well you know he's terrible he had his time then but now he's not uh, so now it's like well He was good, and we definitely needed him at that time, but now it's time for somebody different. If I get in to be president, I will pardon him. Like, that's the tone change that she's had on the campaign trail, realizing that whether we acknowledge it or not, that the Trump voters in the Republican Party are a vast amount, and the only way that you're going to win them over is to play nice with Trump, not to go after Trump. Why do you think that Chris Christie, although Chris Christie is a major rhino, he's a very center, maybe-ish, right, type of individual that's just kind of a loudmouth from New Jersey. Personally, I'm not a big fan of him. But uh, the reason he's doing so badly in the polls, not only because he's so much of a rhino, but because he's not that friendly to Donald Trump. And the Trump voters are not willing to give him a chance and be won over by him because of the rhetoric that he's doing. Oh, the ongoing division within the Republican Party we got to love how we just eat each other up and beat each other up in the battlefield before we even get to the real enemy, which is progressivism and socialism. Speaking of the division within the Republican Party, moving up to Washington, D.C. in our latest in what's trending...
0: What's trending today?
1: More conversation regarding the federal budget right now as we talked about uh, some over the last few days of what we could see with this expiring of the continuing resolution and what the federal budget could look like. This $1.7 trillion spending package that Mike Johnson is praising as a solid bill. I don't know that it's necessarily going to be a solid bill or not, but we're going to try it. As now there's another battle between Mitch McConnell and Mike Johnson As Mitch McConnell, sorry, Mitch McConnell is advocating for another extension of a continuing resolution to make sure that we don't shut down the government.
2: you. You talk about the need for a CR, explain operationally, despite there being a top line, how it's so challenging to get something done by the end of next week. But secondarily, and perhaps more importantly, are you and Speaker Johnson not aligned on this? I mean, he has said he doesn't want to do a CR. You say that's the only way out of this mess right now in the next week. Well, they have a top-line agreement, Schumer and the Speaker. In the meantime, we need to prevent a government shutdown. And so the obvious question is, how long does the CR need to be? And that'll be up to the Majority Leader and the Speaker to determine the length of the CR. But I, you know, the Senate, the simplest thing, take a week in the Senate. So I think frequently the House doesn't understand how long it takes to get something through the Senate.
1: Can we have an any more boring Senate minority leader for the Republican Party? We have our list of New Year's resolutions, personal, career-wise, maybe relationship-wise, politically-wise. Can I put on my political one that we can have a little bit more of an exciting House minority leader that's not rich? It's going to make me fall asleep. For crying out loud, at the same time, he wants to go down the same old, same old, extend the continuing resolution. Dude, we're in February when this one runs out. What do you want to do? Go to June? Why don't we just pass another omnibus bill to spend it until the end of the year that's in October, and then we don't have to worry about this anymore as well, and that way you can avoid your precious government shutdown. Good golly. John Smith Baker! when we come back right around the corner, here for a
0: Tuesday on The Voice of Reason. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is.
1: Radio TV live streaming, podcasting, trying to cram that 10 pounds reason into that five pound bag, trying to rebrand the millennial generation one radio listener at a time and making you feel good about it too. Oh, that's nasty. It's what we do about it each and every day, trying to carpe DM all over this place, baby. Welcome into it. So we'll get back to, <laughs> I got it. Hold on. Hold on real quick. Well, alright, quick. We got to do our what's trending. What's trending today? And then we got to get to our guest here which I'm super excited to chat with. But did you see the headline Howard Stern has announced that he is off the radio for a while because of getting COVID-19. Oh my. Oh my. I thought that he was like super ultra double boosted vaccinated and then anybody that was not vaccinated was going to die and then of course if you get the vaccine you're either not going to get covid or it's going to be super mild symptoms and but yet he's going to be off the radio for at least a week now after announcing that he's got the covid 19 i thought that was kind of interesting the things that make you go hmm all right let's get into our real what's trending story what do you say
0: What's trending today? All right, as
1: you know on this program, we talk more than just the current events in politics, but we like to dive a little bit deeper, unveil the layers of the onion, and figure out what's real, really going on in society—not just in politics, but in culture in general. How to be better human beings? How do we better individuals? And it seems like there's been an ongoing attack. Which may lay out the reason and cause for so many issues here in the nation right now. But there's an ongoing attack and focus to break up the family unit, to break up the family values. And when that falls apart, then everything else just kind of unravels on its own uh, by itself. But are we starting to recognize that? Is our little radar starting to pop up and our red flags starting to remind us that, hey, maybe we need to refocus here just a little bit to talk about that and so much more? Happy to have on the program. He is the founder of the organization Fathers in the Field. And all through the book, "Man Enough to Forgive," as we talk about fatherless families and fatherless children, right now, happy to have on the program John Smith Baker with us. John, how are you, my friend?
2: Uh, great, Andy. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. Welcome to it. It seems like that this single issue, just not having a family unit of the mother and the father together, with so many divorce rates, with single parents across the nation, with attacking masculinity in general, that this topic could relate to so many issues that we're seeing in society today, couldn't it?
2: Oh, yes. I mean, it's it's obvious you have to be, I don't know, just with your head in the sand, if you don't really see what's going on and it's really quite simple. I mean, obviously, uh, God made family for a very special reason. And he made, uh, the position of husband and, and father and wife and mother with special roles and, and the attack on the the headship role of the father and a husband is profound because God gave them special roles of being the pastor, provider and protector. Mm-hmm. So when you break that cup, then those roles can't be fulfilled and then you see the ensuing chaos that's going on, on our and really it's the foundation of all the really most of our ills in society.
1: When we talk about, let's say, crime uh, crime stats, for example, we talk about the amount of crime, we talk about shootings, we talk about um, mm-hmm. a, a, a assaults on individuals, rapes on individuals, and we look at the numbers. And, of course, when we look at it from a political lens, we hear political individuals or organizations or parties say, well, we need to address the gun. We have to take away the firearm because if we take away the firearm, then all of a sudden that would solve the problem and we wouldn't have all these shootings or crimes across the nation but when you look at the real stats we show that for example 72% of adolescent murders are committed by children that do not have fathers the vast majority of rape cases yep. you know the number of uh, individuals that are in state prisons for example all of them uh, have one single um, common denominator, so to speak, which I love being able to connect the dots on something to say, well, there's a co- there's there's symmetry here, there's a parallel, there's a common denominator that ties everything into one tight little bunch. And it seems like one of those major factors is the fact that children are being raised without a father. Why is that, do you think?
2: Well, I think the enemy knows what he's doing. The, the Marxists, the anti-God establishment knows what they're doing. In order to... Uh, Break this country, which founded on Judeo-Christian values, which comes from God Almighty Himself. uh, They have to break the the network, if you will, or the next generation of truth, and that is always passed down through the family. And those roles that men have, that these future pastor providers and protectors, these boys, they are the answer. So not only are they trying to destroy men. Then there's trying to destroy the next generation of men. So all those things that you mentioned, like gun control, that's just all straw man arguments trying to uh, persuade people to not look at the real symptom. The real symptom is the breakdown of the family, order that God ordained, and the roles that people play and how truth is passed on. And one of the truths is how we treat people. One of the truths is the Ten Commandments. You know, what is right, what is wrong, the morals. If not, you're having a government who is basically anti God trying to teach morals, and uh, their morals they can keep for sure.
1: Have we gotten to that point? And and we love reading this stat on the air that is the size of government grows, the belief in a higher power continues to dwindle. Uh, whatever that higher power belief system may be for individuals, but this, when size of government grows, that we start leaning towards, like you said, more towards government do something for us and government solve yeah. the issue, government take care of us, government protect us from this, and we look to the government to solve those issues, but. That's one thing the government cannot do is regulate morality, which is specifically why we try to encourage the separation of church and state, which is a whole other conversation. But uh, that we've realized that government can't regulate morality because every time we've tried it, it doesn't turn out too well.
2: Yeah, they don't want morality. They want confusion. But (laughs) if you think about it, even in the inner cities, even after slavehood, the the black families uh, had an intact family rate of 90%. And it was in you know uh, 1964 the, the Great Welfare Society program by LBJ, you know, in, in 30 years or whatever that's been now 40 years, now we have a followless rate in the inner city is of over 75 percent. We we are no longer sadly a Christian nation. We are no longer a family unit nation. We have over 50 percent followless rate in our nation. Think about that. So we all know what the inner city looks like. It's seventy-five percent without family and fathers involved. We, as a nation, are just over fifty now. You know the suburbias are around down forty, and you combine them with the inner city, so we're just over fifty. But the delta is less than twenty-five points. If you want to know what our nation looks like, you just have to look at the inner city. Once that uh, the, the nation's fatherhood fatherless rate hits seventy-five percent, Pastor Greg Laurie says it best. The family can survive without the nation, but the nation cannot survive without the family. And if you if you really want to know the, the death spiral that our culture is in, uh, if you got a moment, uh, in 1962 the Supreme Court ruled prayer not allowed in schools. So then you had the destruction of faith. Thank you, government. In 1963 you had the Supreme Court rule Bible reading was not allowed in schools. Now you have the destruction of truth. And as we mentioned, 1964 the Great wealth, Welfare Society. So now you have the destruction of dependence or, or and independence. So you, basically, you're making people dependent, trying to make the government your father. In 1969, you have no-fault divorce. So now you have the destruction of the family covenant. 1973, you have Roe versus Wade, destruction of life. In 2015, uh, the Supreme Court decision on the same-sex marriage. So now you have destruction of marriage and so it just goes on and on. So we are we're, we're in a we're in a dire spiral and it's going to take bold actions by believers and by those morally strong and those strong conservatives to push back.
1: Yeah, we're talking with John Smithmaker. He is the founder of Fathers in the Field, also author of the book Man Enough to Forgive. You can find all the information online at fathersinthefield.com. Let's take it a step further. Let's look at families that may still be together. But there are two separate issues right now that I think are another attack from just another angle on the same issue, which is number one, creating inflation and an economic stress so badly that you have both parents that are out working now to where they're not home focusing on the child or they have to work double shifts to where the father's barely home, even if they are still a family unit, not being able to focus a lot of attention on the family and number 2 in the in the classroom now and in the general public I should say that we have the attack on quote unquote masculinity making boys especially in their adolescent time when they're starting to develop and starting to go through their changes saying that you're confused that you actually don't know who or what you are and that you need to be uh, you need to forgive yourself for the ultra masculinity that is toxic to society both of these issues do you think that they're going after the same thing here just in a different way
2: Sure, they're they're circling their wagons around the same issue. Let's make no mistake about about it. Masculinity is a gift to the world. Masculinity is a gift to women, it's a gift to the families, it's a gift to the community, it's a gift to the nation. They hate that. That's why they try to do everything to destroy it. Men, the next generation of men, boys, the traditional family, the traditional roles, the headship roles of men, Feminism has destroyed this country, this family, and I'm not saying men uh, get a pass, uh, we're part of the blame, but we need to reestablish what it means to have a family, how truth is passed to the next generation, and stand up for the Word of God, because that is the source of all truth.
1: Yeah, we need to focus on that. And I think there is a refocusing on those types of values because right now I think everything's gotten too far from the yeah. feminism that now has even been attacked where you can't even be a woman anymore. You can just identify as whatever you want <laughs> and then making the man irrelevant yeah. regardless of whether they're in the picture or not. And both of those things have led the parents to be uh, estranged essentially from their children and being able to raise them properly.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, what what a mess our nation is. You look at all the symptoms out there, and and really they try and say well he, he you know he died of drug overdose yeah but re- what what caused somebody trying and numb the pain in their in their soul and it's fatherlessness yeah and so I mean they're either killing themselves slowly or they're actually killing them I mean if you if anecdotally if you take all the research together we've been able to come up to say about seven thousand fatherless children attempt suicide daily wow what a sad stat.
1: What a sad stay. Absolutely. John, hold on the line here. we got to take a hard break. When we come back, I want to continue this conversation. I want to talk about what you guys do with fathers in the field and how you can help bring that family unit back together. It's John Smith Baker. Lots more coming up here on The Voice of
0: Reason. This stay is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed
1: it is. Welcome into it. Trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that 5-pound bag. Trying to rebrand the millennial generation one radio listener at a time. Our multiple radio stations were all over the place and hanging out here. With our home flagship station, KQM, in Wichita, Kansas. So wonderful to have you with us. We're hanging out with John Baker. He is the founder of Fathers in the Field, also author of the book Man Enough to Forgive. You can find it on Amazon, also on the website at fathersinthefield.com as we try to focus on the family values. And I get it. It's difficult to try and have That family time with the way the economy is, you're trying to work extra. You're trying to work double time. You're trying to work two or three jobs, maybe. So even if you are a family unit, then you essentially become irrelevant at times. And it's very sad that we have to deal with that. How do we bring back those family values? How do we teach our children properly? I don't have a son, but I have my nine-year-old daughter. And I want to be there for her because regardless of whether it's a boy or a girl, having that fatherly Influence is extremely important, and I, I, I've got to tell you, when I wanted a kid, I wanted a boy because you know we were gonna roughhouse and teach him how to, you know, hunt and do all this crazy stuff. And my daughter is the girliest girl that is out there. She does ballet now, and she does all this other, and plays the Barbies, and does all this other stuff. So it's hard sometimes, but at the same time, she still runs to daddy, which is awesome. And We got to get involved the best we can. So John, let's talk about your fathers in the field. What is this organization? What do you guys do here to try and bring the fathers back home and focus on the family?
2: Thanks for asking. Well, after God saved me and I grew up fatherless, he put on my heart to go into full-time ministry. And now that I understand how to deal and how to intentionally help these precious fatherless boys that have been left behind to fend for themselves and same with the widows of our time, these precious single moms. But anyways, (laughs) It, fathers in the Field uh, goes to the local church, local biblical church around the nation, and we come alongside them, help coach them, equip them, train them to go out into the community and make an intentional commitment into the life of the fatherless. And uh, they pair godly men with these fatherless boys, and they make a three-year commitment, share a Heavenly Father that will never leave or forsake and and intentionally start dealing with that father when that's deep down inside him that will control his whole life and uh hopefully we can uh, restore and heal that soul and and put him on the right track again
1: That's great. I I always think of it's not only sad of watching families get broken up which is always heartbreaking, but the opportunities that many children miss out on because of the lack of that family values. And I've I, I mentioned the story a couple of times on the radio throughout the years that my brother, who's about seven years younger than me, was in college and was told in college in Colorado where he went for engineering, one of his professors told him that because he was white, because he was male, because he was straight, and because he had two parents that were still together that he was the most privileged person in the country. He needed to apologize for that privilege and that he was the problem with society because, again, he was white, male, straight, and because our parents were still together. Uh, this, this is what we're up against right now, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's sad. Yeah, the the break of the family has a, a, a profound rippling effect, not just in that family but in their community and schools and sadly in our nation. And it's the cornerstone that God gave us to really to, it's the fortress to push back against evil that wants to corrupt our society, our country, our communities, our family. It's the fortress God gave us. And uh, listen, when the father leaves, basically, you know, the family has to, write, uh, you know, wave the white flag of surrender because then that's when all the marauding influences, bad influences, circle around the home and, and destroys, destroys it, which is sad.
1: Yeah, it is. John, we got about 30 seconds before we have to wrap up here, but what else can we do to bring that back? Like you said, we're so in this mindset Yo, of yeah. government mm-hmm. fix us and government solve the issue, but with government unable to regulate morality, how do we bring morality yeah. back to a society that doesn't want to do it themselves?
2: Yeah. Well, men need to understand what their roles is, That's God-ordained roles. And you have so many brothers and sisters, but brothers who are, grew up fatherless or saved, but they're on the sidelines because they're still dealing with this father wound. That's why I wrote the book, Man Enough to Forgive, which is intentionally addresses this wound inside these men, because the other men who are healed and who are redeemed and, and aren't dealing with that, they're at the gate, and the barbarians are at the gate. We need all these other brothers who are dealing with this You Find for forgiveness, become the man that God intended you to be, and we need you at the gate, because the barbarians are at the gate at this country.
1: I love it. FathersIntheField.com is the website. The book, Man Enough to Forgive. You can find it on Amazon, other places as well. It's John Smith Baker. John, thank you so much for coming on the show, my friend. Keep up this fight. It's an extremely important one, and it's so deep to get to the heart of so many issues across this nation. Let's get you back on the show and do it again real soon, my friend.
2: Thank you, Andy. Thanks for your heart to help out and get the word
1: out. Hey, absolutely. Great stuff. There it is again, John Smith Baker, Man Enough to Forgive. The website, FathersIntheField.com. Go and check it out. That's us for today. We're all done. All wrapped up. Goes by way too quick. We'll do it again tomorrow. Until then, be your own voice of reason. Be that catalyst for change. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.